Alright, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. And the title of today's message is The Way of Truth. We'll see that in just a second. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so we're looking at the fact that the church is the place of truth for the world. And if that is the case, we have to know what truth looks like. And truth is Jesus Christ. As verse 16 says, because Jesus is godliness. He is righteousness. And righteousness exalts a nation. And if truth is Jesus and we're the place of truth, then we have a responsibility to be more and more like Jesus, coming in line in agreement with God's Word and the Holy Spirit. We are the light and salt for the world. Light dispels the darkness and salt preserves. And so God wants us to do both of those, to be both of those for the world. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's called the church to do. And um, this is what it means to let righteousness exalt our nation or exalt our community or exalt our places of business or exalt our homes. And in John 14, 6 and 7, it says this, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, if I say no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Jesus is letting them know that, hey, I've done all of these things. I'm getting ready to go. And you're going to look back on this and you're going to understand the way of truth. You're going to know what it means to walk in truth. And to walk in truth is to walk as Jesus walked. To shine as He shined for the world. And we have to be that beacon of hope for the world to be able to turn to and say, this is what truth looks like. But I want you to understand, and we kind of touched on this last week, Jesus requires a higher standard of walking for us. <laughs> because as we saw, it's a matter of our heart. So it's not enough for us just to do the right thing. We have to have the right heart in doing the right thing. There's a lot of people in the church that do the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. And we have to have a heart made in the likeness and the image of God that is changed into the likeness and image of God, that we do the things that He's called us to do with the right heart. And 
So there's discipline that has to be involved. But you know, when we do things and, and we we looked at Samuel last week when he was going to anoint the king of Israel. And in his mind, he saw all these the other brothers. But it was David that he chose, that God chose. Because it was David's heart that was different than the other ones. And, and so it's so important for us not to get caught up on the things that we see in the natural and think, wow, aren't they awesome? But we have to look at our hearts. And, and it starts with us that we have to allow God to look at our hearts and to examine our hearts and to change our hearts. Diana's mom used to tell the kids when they were younger, others may, you may not. Now as a young believer, that, that's not good. That doesn't sound good. But she was speaking life to them. Others may, but you may not. Why? Because God is inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Matter of fact, she didn't know this was in there. And then to this weekend we were talking about it. And not about this statement, but she said that her mom uh, got to the point where when um, they wanted to go do something, she would say, ask Jesus if he wants you to go. Or ask Jesus if you should do that. And she was teaching them. She was training them to listen to the heart of your father. He will give you the directions as to what you should and shouldn't do. Because there's a higher standard for believers. But I also want to tell you, if there's a higher standard when we walk in them, then there's a higher reward as well. And it's well worth it. But in our minds as believers, we can get disillusioned thinking that others who don't know the Lord or... Uh, other believers who aren't following them like, quote, we are. They get away with everything and we don't get away with anything. And we, we start to think that life is so unfair. And I just want to tell you, it is. I don't know what scripture you can read that it tells you that life is fair. It's not. It's unfair, but it's Okay. Because if we will stay the course and continue to do right and have the right heart attitude, we will receive a reward that no one can stop and it will be unfair how good God is to us because we've been faithful to walk in righteousness before Him. Things will just begin to fall in line and come together for us. Because we've been faithful to God. We've been faithful to His Word. And there will be no explanation except that it's God doing this. So I want to encourage us to stay the course. Seek after righteousness and lift up wherever you are. Wherever you go. If you're still working, then when you go, you ought to be bringing Jesus with you. And so our responsibility is not to come up with the reward or anything else or get mad about what others are doing and we think we have it so rough. Our responsibility is to remain faithful to God and do the right thing. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 12, please. Mark chapter 12. We looked last week at Jesus being a servant. 
And he left us an example that we should follow in that. And here's one of the things that I've learned, that if we're going to be a true servant of God, then we have to love others. That's number one. So we have to love. But number two is, in order to serve, you have to give. If you're not giving, you're not serving. And we kind of get those confused. And again, I I, want to challenge you with this. You can give in your service, but do it with the wrong attitude. Do it with the wrong motive. Do it with the wrong heart. And so that's why it's so important that we allow God to look at our hearts. Because God values our hearts. And He sees things that we don't see and that others don't see. I've shared it in the past here that if God has your heart, then He has all of you. But if He doesn't have your heart, then He really doesn't have any part of you. You can have great talents. You can have great abilities, wonderful skills, great leadership. You can have all of that. But if God doesn't have your heart, then He doesn't have those things either. But if he has your heart, then he has those things. And when we serve, it said last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And that meant that he had to learn how to give as well. And so he's teaching his disciples one day. And so in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, we read this and it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins which make a penny. Now, is that a lot? No. That's not a lot. Verse 43, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those. Everybody say all those. So he's not just talking about one rich person, but he's talking about all those rich people and everything that they put in. He's saying to them, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. That's a pretty heavy statement. Because here's what I'm telling you is we can do all the right things, but if our heart isn't in it, then we're not doing it right. We're just doing things. Maybe it's a check off. Maybe we're trying to earn our way. Whatever it is. And why ever they did that. But listen to what Jesus said in verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And so you have to think of, when you read this, you have to ask yourself, well, what's he talking about? Okay, if they're giving out of their abundance, guess what? They're not giving by faith. They're just giving out of their abundance, out of what they have. 
But she, on the other hand, is giving out of faith because she has nothing left. And so when she gives, she gives it all to Jesus because her heart was there. And so as we read this, we think, man, this is so strange. And I want to tell you, the world thinks the ways of God are so strange. And they are to the world. They seem foolish to the world. They seem backwards to the world. And they are. And I just want to tell you that, and I mentioned this last truth takes time to be revealed. Truth takes time to be revealed, but when it is revealed, it is so powerful. And so I want to encourage us as believers, we have to continue to do the right thing no matter what, have the right heart end on it, and we need to trust God or trust that God sees us no matter what the world says about us and no matter how the world tries to stop us. Because you have to think that these people were doing it and maybe they were doing it for show. Maybe they were doing it because they wanted everybody to see how they were giving. And in her humility, she gave all that she had. When we stand for righteousness, believing what God's Word says, listening to the Holy Spirit, then the world will think that we are foolish. But we are called to truth. We are called to doing good and being the light with the right heart. And so, that's the good part. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now it gets even better. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. How many times have we said to ourselves, I'm just tired of doing the same thing. Uh, why do I always have to be the doormat? Why do I always have to take the abuse? As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? Because he's getting to our hearts. Growing weary is when we've lost heart. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Starting in verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And that's beautiful. Okay? That's an awesome message in and of itself. But he continues. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, everybody say due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Now look, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what due season means to God. Your due season may be longer or shorter than my due season. I don't know what it is. I don't know when due season is going to come. But I'm here to tell you that eventually it's going to come if we do not give up. So our responsibility is to not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's a hard issue. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't give up. I'm so thankful that He went all the way. All the way, not only to the cross, but through the cross. Not only to the grave, but through the grave. He didn't give up. He stayed the course. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, in both of these, it's, we're, we're told not to grow weary. You see, we want to be the, the pillar of truth, the foundation of truth for the world, but this is what it looks like. We're not to grow weary. You may have weary moments and everything else, but you have to Speak to yourself. You have to prophesy to yourself. You have to slap yourself. Do whatever you can to get out of you. If you're starting to feel weary, do something so that you come out of that. So that in due season, you can reap the harvest. We, we are the place of truth, but this is the way of truth that God expects for us to walk in. Now, the, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. The next set of scriptures that we're going to look at, we're going to look at this in 1 Peter. Um, as we read them, I want us to understand that this is spoken to people who are suffering terrible persecution, who are be, being mistreated uh, in every way possible. Some losing their lives, some losing their homes, losing their families, losing their businesses, all for the sake of Jesus. And the world is treating them harshly. They're looking at them as if they're fools. But Hebrews 12, verse 3 says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. <laughs> and if you go back to the verses before this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is talking about uh, faith and looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's not coming up, but I know you guys will go back and look at it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then he's writing, or the writer of Hebrews is telling us this, and it says, consider him, speaking of Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so look, whenever you're facing difficult times, don't start crying and complaining and moaning about how rough you have it and how bad the world is treating you. Look at what they did to Him. 
in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And so this is the word of encouragement to us that we have to remember. Okay? And so the writer of Hebrews is letting us know, he says, uh, in verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. And so when we're facing difficult things, when the world is coming against us, just relax. It's okay. You're going to be alright. I mean, we just... And we haven't even had it hard in America yet. And we act like we're being crucified. And we're not. Somebody doesn't look at us right in church and we get bent out of shape about it. Somebody sits in our chair. We get bent out of shape about it. Somebody doesn't say hi to us in the grocery store. We get bent out of shape about it. And here he's saying, look, the Lord is disciplining us and, and He disciplines us because He loves us. What's He after when He's doing all of this? If a parent disciplines properly, they're after not the behavior, but the child's heart. And this is what he's getting at here. It's our hearts that God is after. He's trying to train our hearts. And if he uses the world to do it, so be it. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And it's scary to me when you're in places and, and the world is telling you that, oh, you shouldn't discipline your children. Okay, so we let them become whatever they want to become, which usually becomes nothing. They think we're foolish? Mm. Verse 8. Well, verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, speaking of our natural fathers or parents, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. It's a heart issue. He's after our hearts. And so, here's one of the first things that you need to do when, when you start to experience what you call difficulties. Painful moments in your life. You just need to pause. Cause a timeout. Go take a timeout. Go sit in your room and say, God, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. So you must be pulling at my heart. You're tugging at my heart. You must want to change my heart. And then give Him the opportunity to do that. Say, what are you after in me? 
It'll go much easier if you do that. I'm not saying that it's, he's going to take everything. You'll still go through things. But the end is for our good that we may share in his holiness. When we share in his holiness, we're becoming more and more like him. And trust me, we need that more and more. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, everybody say, but later. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. What exalts a nation? Righteousness. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor, you don't know how hard they've been at, at me at work. Well, good. God loves you. You're a son. You're a daughter to him. God's after your heart. He's trying to instill his holiness in you and the peaceful fruit of righteousness so your place of business can be exalted. And again, may I remind you, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the church in a time of very difficult persecution. Paul calls it a light and momentary afflictions. And the writer is letting us know that it's okay to follow after God in his ways and stay the course no matter what because later on, the NIV says later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But if we're kicking against it, if we're always bucking against what God is trying to do, we're going to miss the heart issue that he's trying to work in us, which is him. When we don't see the results or the, or the promise right away, it's easy to give up, but we can't. We have to keep on doing what is right and do it with a right heart. And Peter encourages the church in this way as well. And again, they're going through much difficulty. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two, verse 11 says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul." And so let me just pause here for a moment. When he uses the word "sojourners and exile," that means that this is not our home, OK? So there's a mindset that we have to have even to begin with to look at our struggles differently. If this was the only thing that there was, then it would be tragic, but it's not. And this is not our home. We're just passing by. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Thank you. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in other words, 
when you start to do right, all hell's going to come against you and they're going to start lying about you. They're going to start saying all kind of nasty things about you. You just have to let it go and you have to stay the course. You have to keep doing good deeds. You just continue to do what is right. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Isn't that awesome? What a great statement. How many times have we said, God, I just want to know what your will is. Well, here it is. Here's one of them. Here's part of the will of God for your life. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But you know what? Our responsibility is to continue to do good. And I'm telling you, at the right time, God will step in and He'll prove you to be right. And them to be foolish. Verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God. Again a heart issue. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. The church. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants. If I say servants, <clears throat> I, I, so many times when I read this, I want to say this and then I, I chicken out, but today I'll just say it. Do you know Jesus or Peter is saying this and there's other scriptures like this. Jesus knew that there was slavery going on and he didn't stop it. And as we're getting ready to read here about what Peter has to say about it, there's something about letting God be God in our lives no matter what the circumstances look like. He's getting ready to talk to servants, but he's talking to born-again, spirit-filled servants. He's talking to servants who know Jesus. Okay, This is what he says to them. Verse 18, servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. How many times do we have a pity party? We start feeling sorry for ourselves. And we're not even servants. But also to the unjust. Verse 19, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, in other words, when you go to work and you're understanding work, you, you're just a place for God to allow me to be blessed and me to be a blessing. Isn't that awesome? So, uh, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And let me tell you, they were experiencing this. 
We haven't experienced suffering unjustly yet. They have been. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. In other words, doing good and suffering for it and enduring it. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that we might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. You see, this is what we're called to. This is, this is the way of truth. You want to be the pillar of truth, the foundation of truth for the world, then this is how we have to live. This is what we have to do. This is the way of truth. This is how God expects us to live if we are going to be what He has called us to be. So if we are the place of truth, then this is the way of truth. And I just want to close with this scripture again, just to remind you, Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And this is what righteousness looks like. It looks like us becoming more and more like Jesus. It's, it looks like us having the heart of Jesus, not examining things according to our own understanding, but letting God look at our heart, letting Him adjust our heart to be more and more like Him. And as we get ready to receive communion, let us do it with this truth in our minds and in, in our hearts that we want to become more and more like Jesus. We want Him to have our hearts. We want Him to be able to change our hearts. We want to walk in the example that He has left for us.